0: Passes to India Chapter 5 Part 2 Meanwhile, the collector had been going his rounds. He made pleasant remarks and a few jokes, which were applauded lustily. But he knew something to the discredit of nearly every one of his guests and was consequently perfunctory. When they had not cheated, it was Bhang, women, or worse, and even the desirables wanted to get something out of him. He believed that a bridge party did good rather than harm, or he would not have given one. But he was under no illusions, and at the proper moment he retired to the English side of the lawn. The impressions he left behind him were various. Many of the guests, especially the humbler and less anglicized, were genuinely Grateful. To be addressed by so high official was a permanent asset. They did not mind how long they stood or how little happened, and when seven o'clock struck they had to be turned out. Others were grateful with more intelligence. The Nawab Bahadur, indifferent for himself and for the distinction with which he was greeted, was moved by the mere kindness that must have prompted the invitation. He knew the difficulties. Hamidullah also thought that the collector had played up well, but others such as Mahmood Ali were cynical. They were firmly convinced that Turton had been made to give the party by his official superiors and was all the time consumed with important race, and they infected some who were inclined to a healthier view. Yet even Mahmood Ali was glad he had come. Shrines are fascinating, especially when rarely opened, and it amused him to note the ritual of the English club and to caricature it afterwards to his friends. After Mr. Turton, the official who did his duty best was Mr. Fielding, the principal of the little government college. He knew little of the district and less against the inhabitants, so he was in a less cynical state of mind. Athletic and cheerful, he roamed about, making numerous mistakes which the parents of his pupils tried to cover up. For he was popular among them. when the moment for refreshment came, he did not move back to the English side, but burned his mouth with gram. He talked to anyone and he ate anything. Amid much that was alien, he learned that the two new ladies from England had been a great success and that their politeness in wishing to be Mrs. Bhattacharya's guest had pleased not only her, but all Indians who heard of it. It pleased Mr. Fielding also. He scarcely knew the two new ladies. Still, he decided to tell them what pleasure they had given by their friendliness. Yeah. He found the younger of them alone. She was looking through a nick in the cactus hedge at the distant Marabar hills, which had crept near, as was their custom at sunset. If the sunset had lasted long enough, they would have reached the town, but it was swift, being tropical. He gave her his information, and she was so much pleased and thanked him so heartily that he asked her and the only lady to tea. I would like to come very much indeed, and so would Mrs. Moore, I know. I'm rather a hermit, you know. Much the best thing to be in this place. Owing to my work and so on, I don't get up much to the club. I know, I know, and we never get down from it. I envy you being with Indians. Do you care to meet one or two? Very, very much indeed. It's what I long for. This party today makes me so angry and miserable. I think my countrymen out here must be mad. Fancy inviting guests and not treating them properly. You and Mr. Turton and perhaps Mr. MacBride are the only people who showed any common politeness. The rest make me perfectly ashamed. And it's got worse and worse. It had. The Englishmen had intended to play a better, but had been prevented from doing so by their (coughs) womenfolk, whom they had to attend, provide with tea, advice about dogs, etc. When tennis began, the barrier grew impenetrable. It had been hoped to have some sets between East and West, but this was forgotten, and the courts were monopolized by the usual club couples. Filding resented it too but did not say it to the girl for he found something theoretical in her outburst. Did she care about Indian music? he inquired. There was an old professor down at the college who sang. Oh just what we wanted to hear and do you know Dr. Aziz? I know all about him. I don't know him. Would you like Kim asked, to. Mrs. Moore says he is so nice. Very well, Miss Quested. Will Thursday suit you? Indeed, it will. And that morning we go to this Indian ladies. All the nice things are coming Thursday. I won't ask the city magistrate to bring you. I know he will be busy at that time. Yes, Ronnie is always hard-worked, she replied. Contemplating the hills How lovely they suddenly were, but she couldn't touch them. In front, like a shutter, fell a vision of her married life. She and Ronnie would look into the club like this every evening, then drive home to dress. They would see the Lieslies and the calendars and the turtons and the burtons and invited them and be invited by them. While the true India slid by unnoticed, color would remain. The pageant of birds in the early morning, brown bodies, white turbans, idols whose fresh was scarlet or blue, and movement would remain as long as there were crowds in the bazaar and bathers in the tanks. Perched up on the seat of a dog cart, she would see them but the force that lies behind color and movement would scave her even more effectually than it did now she would see india always as a freeze never as a spirit and she assumed that it was the spirit of which mrs moore had had a glimpse and sure enough they did drive away from the club in a few minutes and they did dress and to dinner came Miss Derek and the McBrides and the menu was julienne soup full of bloody bottled peas pseudo cottage bread fish full of branching bones pretending to be plies more bottled peas with the cutlets trifle, sardines on toast the menu of anglo-indian a dish might be added or subtracted as one rose or fell in the official scale. The peas might rattle less or more. The sardines and the wormouth be imported by a different firm. But the tradition remained. The food of exiles, cooked by servants who did not understand it. Adela thought of the young men and women who had come out before her. P and O, full after P and O, full, and had been set down to the same food and the same ideas, and been snubbed in the same good-humored way until they kept to the accredited themes and began to snub others. I should never get like that, she thought, for she was young herself, all the same, She knew that she had come up against something that was both insidious and tough, and against which she needed allies. She must gather around her at Chandrapur a few people who felt as she did, and she was glad to have met Mr. Fielding and the Indian lady with the unpronounceable name. Here at all events was a nucleus. She should know much better where she stood in the course of the next two days. Miss Derek, she companioned a Maharani in a remote native state. She was genial and gay and made them all laugh about her leave, which she had taken from because she felt she deserved it. Not because the Maharani said she might go. Now she wanted to take the Maharaja's motor car as well. It had gone to a chief's conference at Delhi and she had a great scheme for burgling it at the junction as it came back in the train. She was also very funny about the bridge party. Indeed she regarded the entire peninsula as a comic opera. If one couldn't see the laughable side of these people, one would be done for, said Miss Derrick. Mrs. McBride, it was she who had been the nurse, ceased not to exclaim. Oh, Nancy, how chopping! Oh, Nancy, how killing! I wish I could look at things like that. Mr. McBride did not speak much. He seemed nice. When the guest had gone and Adela gone to bed, there was another interview between mother and son. He wanted her advice and support while resenting interference. Does Adela talk to you much? He began. I'm so driven with work. I don't see her as much as I hoped, but I hope she finds things comfortable. Adela and I talk mostly about India. Dear, since you mention it, you are quite right. You ought to be more alone with her than you are. Yes, perhaps, but then people would gossip. Well, they must gossip sometime. Let them gossip. People are so odd out here, and it's not like home. One's always facing their footlights, as the I've said. Take a silly little example. When Adela went out to the boundary of the club compound and Fielding followed her, I saw Mrs. Callender notice it. They notice everything until they are perfectly sure you are their shot. I don't think Adela will ever be quite their sort. She's much too individual. I know that's so remarkable about her, he said thoughtfully. Mrs. Moore thought him rather absurd. Accustomed to the privacy of London, she could not realize that India, seemingly so mysterious, contained none, and that consequently the conventions have greater force. I suppose nothing's on her mind, he continued. Ask her, ask her yourself, my dear boy. Probably she's heard tales of the heat. But of course, I should pack her off to the hills every April. I'm not one to keep a wife grilling in the plains. Oh, it wouldn't be the weather. There's nothing in India but the weather, my dear mother. It's the alpha and omega of the whole affair. Yes, as Mr. McBride was saying, but it's much more the Anglo-Indians themselves who are likely to get on Adela's nerves. She doesn't... They behave pleasantly to Indians, you see. What did I tell you? he exclaimed, losing his gentle manner. I knew it last week. Oh, how like a woman to worry over a side issue. She forgot about Adela in her surprise. A side issue? A side issue? she repeated. How can it be that? We are not out here for the purpose of behaving pleasantly. What do you mean, what I say? We are out here to do justice and keep the peace. India isn't a drawing room. Your sentiments are those of a god, she said quietly. But it was his manner rather than his sentiments that annoyed her. (laughs) Trying to recover his temper, he said, India likes God. And Englishmen like posing as gods. There's no point in all this. Here we are, and we are going to stop. And the country's got to put up with us. Gods or no gods. Oh, look here! It broke out rather pathetically. What do you and Adela want me to do? Go against my class, against all the people I respect and admire out here? Lose such power as I have for doing good in this country because my behavior isn't pleasant. You neither of you understand what work is, or you would never talk such eyewash. I hate talking like this, but one must occasionally. It's morbidly sensitive to go on as Adela and you do. I noticed you both at the club today, after the collector had been at all that trouble to amuse you. I am out here to work, mind, to hold this wretched country by force. I am not a missionary or a labor member or a vague, sentimental, sympathetic, literary man. I am just a servant of the government. It's the profession you wanted me to choose myself and that's that. We are not pleasant in India and we don't intend to be pleasant. We have something more important to do. He spoke sincerely. Every day he worked hard in the court trying to decide which of the two untrue accounts was the less untrue, trying to dispense justice fearlessly, to protect the weak against the less weak, the incoherent against the plausible, surrounded by lies and flattery. That morning he had convicted a railway clerk of overcharging pilgrims for their tickets and a patan of attempted rape. He expected no gratitude, no recognition for this, and both Clark and Pathan might appeal, bribe their witnesses more effectually in the interval, and get their sentences reversed. It was his duty. But he did expect sympathy from his own people, and except from newcomers he obtained it. He did think he ought not to be worried about bridge parties when the day's work was over and he wanted to play tennis with his equals or rest his legs upon a long chair. He spoke sincerely, but she could have wished with less gusto. How Ronnie reveled in the drawbacks of a situation. How he did rub it in that he was not in India to behave pleasantly and derived positive satisfaction therefrom. He reminded her of his public school days. The traces of young man humanitarianism had sloughed off, and he talked like an intelligent and embittered boy. His words without his voice might have impressed her, but when she heard the self-satisfied lilt of them, when she saw the mouth moving so complacently and competently beneath the little red nose, she felt quite illogically, that this was not the last word on India. One touch of regret, not the canny substitute, but the true regret from the heart, would have made him a different man and the British Empire a different institution. I am going to argue and indeed dictate, he said, clinking her rings. The English are out here to be pleasant. How do you make that out, mother? He asked, speaking gently again for he was ashamed of his irritability because India is part of the earth and God has put us on the earth in order to be pleasant to each other God is love she hesitated seeing how much he disliked the argument but something made her go on God has put us on earth to love our neighbors and to show it and he is omnipresent even in India to see how we are succeeding. He looked gloomy and a little anxious. He knew this religious strain in her and that it was a symptom of bad health. There had been much of it when his stepfather died. He thought, she is certainly aging and I ought not to be vexed with anything she says. The desire to behave pleasantly satisfies God. The sincere, if important, desire wins his blessing. I think everyone fails, but there are so many kinds of failure. Goodwill and more goodwill and more goodwill. Do I speak with the tongues off? He waited until she had done, and then said gently, I quite see that. I suppose I ought to get off to my files now, and you will be going to bed. I suppose so. I suppose so. They did not part for a few minutes, but the conversation had become unreal since Christianity had entered it. Ronnie approved of religion as long as it endorsed the national anthem, but he objected when it attempted to influence his life. Then he would say in respectful yet decided tones, I don't think it does. To talk about these things, every fellow has to work out his own religion, and any fellow who heard him muttered, here. Mrs. Moore felt that she had made a mistake in mentioning God, but she found him increasingly difficult to avoid as she grew older, and he had been constantly in her thoughts since she entered India, though oddly enough he satisfied her less. She must needs pronounce his name frequently as the greatest she knew. Yet she had never found it less efficacious. Outside the earth, there seemed always an arc beyond the remotest eco silence. And she regretted afterwards that she had not kept to the real serious subject that had caused her to visit India namely the relationship between Ronnie and Adela. Would they or would they not succeed in becoming engaged to be married?